Welcome to the Art in Motion podcast, a conversation with artists on their life journeys and the sacred dimensions of their creative process. So I want to welcome both of you to, uh, to Art in Motion, um, a little series uh, part of which is a conversation that I like to do once a week with an artist or a creative person about really their creative process, not just their artwork and their craft, but the way they think creatively and the way they translate their inspiration into work. Um, and uh, this week, of course, we have a very, very special guest. Um, someone whom I consider to be the uh, harpist muse, um, Destiny Muhammad, uh, who is somebody that I've known about for a very long time through Tazin and, and Ismail, Divine Providence. Um, and I've wanted to meet for a very long time. And uh, Destiny, pun intended, would so have it that <laughs> we would meet together through the art collective known as Race Karma. And uh, in so many ways, I, I think metaphysically, artistically, creatively, we've hit it off in terms of conversations yeah. and, uh, and hopefully many more things to come. Um, I don't think anybody Mashallah. can do you justice except the way you <laughs> describe yourself. So my first sort of question is to tell people about who you are but you might want to begin with a little harp prayer before that, whichever one you want to do first. Ooh, a little harp prayer. Harp prayer. Ooh. Harp heart prayer. I 
right, kind, we're doing today. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, in the name of God, and the most merciful. In the name, in the name, and in the nature of all that is whole, perfect, and complete. For those that have gone and those that have come before, and all those that are to come, I give thanks for the being. If you can, if you can just continue from where you left off after you finished the prayer. All right. So, my name is Destiny Muhammad. Tell me, what would you like to know about me? Outside of that, I'm just one of these crazies. <laughs> that's that's a good that's a good vantage point. <laughs> let's, let's let's actually let's focus on your journey with. Let's say let's focus on your journey with the harp and spirituality. Ooh. Wow. So, hmm. I think that the spirituality has always been there, but I may not have had a name for it. Mm. The harp came into my life when I was nine years old. It made a visitation, mm -hmm. if you will, by wow. way of a, of a beautiful, crazy himself named Harpo Marx. I saw the harp with Harpo Marx on I Love Lucy, which during that time in 1970 was in syndicate. And my family and I had just journeyed back from Asia, back to United States. So we went from living in Asia, a little, a little island called Okinawa to Compton, like 1970, almost immediately after the Watts riot. And so we are looking at a time that almost for me looks similar to what we're living right now. Yes. So you already know. Yes. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nine-year-old young lady who's been living overseas. I had learned to speak a little of the traditional language of the the folks in Okinawa. They are an hour outside of Japan and today it's also known as the Hawaii of Japan. But they're known as the Ryukans. They had their own language. So I had learned to speak a little Ryukan as a child. I was there from the age of five to nine, coming back to United States and literally being thrown into an experience that was very dramatic. I had learned how to shut all that down so that I could adapt immediately to the experience that was happening here in yeah. the United States. And uh, my mother and father were divorcing at the time. I mean, literally divorced on the airplane. Wow. <laughs> and so we went from having a cool house in, in Okinawa and going to school and two parent to going on welfare. Wow. And my and my my aunt who had been living my mother was the second oldest of twelve children and we had an aunt who lived in Compton. Matter of fact, most of my, my family had moved from Louisiana to Compton. We were staying with my aunt like literally right off of the airplane and sh and during that time, the children were seen and not heard, so we were sent to the den to go watch. We we went to my 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 mother sent us to the den to go watch television because we weren't supposed to listen in on grown folks' conversations. Right. <laughs> and so this is when I get introduced to the harp. I Love Lucy is on. I had never seen I Love Lucy. And here's Harpo Marx having at it with the harp. And if you remember this particular segment, it's uh, he plays Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And I'm smitten and I'm telling my mom, that's what I want to play. And she says, shut up. I'm trying to figure out how to put food on the table for oh, three yeah. little girls. You know, because she's stressed. Yeah. 
Right. And so I never asked her about it again. So we did the whole welfare thing in Compton. My mother was able to get housing in the projects in a little town called San Pedro, just south of Compton, about 30 minutes, maybe about 30 minutes by car, an hour and a half by bus. <laughs> and um, so went up living in San Pedro, welfare projects, just trying to figure it out, crack epidemic hits and just like almost waylays a whole community of youth, our, our interpretation of millennials. Yes. And um, by this time, I'm still trying to figure it out. I start busing myself to a little town called Torrance because that's a school that I felt I could go to when we were living in San Pedro. And I said, uh, my mother says, um, well, do you want to go to school here? And I was like, absolutely not. There's no intelligent life on those <laughs> campuses. I just can't do it, mom. And so I literally would catch two buses in the morning to go to school in Torrance. And uh, by this time, my heart dream is way away. I'm learning spirituality by way of my mother had introduced us to a man. I don't know if you remember him, but he was like a, a household legend in our house. His name was Reverend Ike. And Reverend Ike was the man who, my, he was one of the individuals that introduced my mother to metaphysics. And by this time, prior to that, we had been just straight Christianity, Church of God in Christ, which yep. is a whole experience. And I think we had been to a Baptist church. Then she, she heard about Reverend Ike and she started to study metaphysics by way of a man by the name of Ernest Holmes. And I think we had, she had studied a few other things with a woman by the name Elaine Minor, who no one seems to remember her, but Elaine Minor was talking about crystals and colors and, <laughs> and vibrations. And it was early, and, and, and I hadn't even heard of Alice Coltrane, but then you have this energy of her coming around, just around in my peripheral. And there was a bookstore in Los Angeles called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. And at that time, it was, it was like fresh, and, it, and they only had the used bookstore. So they were getting used books from Edgar Cayce and, and Ernest Holmes and, and oh, Madame Blavatsky, who Paul Case. I mean, I, I mean, I was getting exposed to that. It was nothing to have those kind of books in our house. And then my mother would also take us to the botanicas. And so they were, I would, we were going and there were botanicas all the time. So I was learning about candles and, and uh, recitation of prayers and spells. I mean, sure. all of this was in, in, in my household. So I was, I was familiar with that. And I was comfortable with energy known as ancestors. I didn't know that was what it was called, which goes back to what I was saying. I didn't have a name for it. But I knew that I was comfortable with it. I wasn't frightened of it. It was, it was normal for, right. for us to, to, to feel that. So we flash forward, you know, I'm, I'm going to high school and I'm singing my way through four years of high school. I'm trusting this energy that I only know is, is God and, and all of its manifestations and all of its protection. Because there's a couple of times I know I should have been hanging out with the ancestors a long time ago. But it was that, <laughs> shoot. But it was that energy that has always, always, always protected me, even when my head was hard. It has always been there. And I'm in high school and, and I really want to go away to study 
music, mm -hmm. but my family is still struggling in the projects. And I just said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to them if I even attempt to get in college. I could even figure out how to fill out an application. And so my mother asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, mama, I don't know. And she said, well, why don't you go to school and become a barber? Get your barber's license and you'll be able to work anywhere in the world as a barber. So I was 17 years old and I started going to Roston School of Men's Hair Design in the city of Long Beach, California, that was really about 10 minutes by bus. So I would run down the street, catch the bus and go to Roston School of Men's Hair Design in Long Beach. It was a nine month course. I graduated in eight. Because I, fig I figured it out, yeah. My mom was a, was a beautician. That's what they called her now. That's the fancy name of hairstylist or stylist. And right. so, you know, so I got, my, I got my license as a barber, worked in a couple of shops. And one of the things about this particular school is it's gone now, but they were considered an elite school, if you will. And you had to fill out when you filled out the application, I had to give them a five-year plan of what I thought I wanted to be in five years. And I said, I was, by this time I'm 17, just about getting ready to step into my 18th solar return. And I said, I want to have my own shop. Hmm. And, and I said, I said, in five years, I'll have my own shop. And literally, in five years, it was a barber shop, five blocks up the street from where I lived in the projects. And I got my first shop at the twenty at the age of twenty one while living in the projects. Wow. Was driving housing authority crazy. They would drive by and say, How are you able to do that and live in the projects? You know, but my mother had given us enough the metaphysics, the ability to to walk and talk with God, to stand in the way of Idris and interpret the times the best That's way, only from my own interpretation. And I remember talking to Allah, God, Jehovah, and saying, look, if you want me to have a, have a conversation with you, you need to sing to me because I could only hear God through music. I'm not listening to nothing else you got to say. So God would talk with, I think he thinks that I'm funny <laughs> because <laughs> I would get, you know, Bootsy Collins, a song through Bootsy Collins would come through and the message that was there would be just what I needed at the time. Yes. So I got my first job. I forgot my first uh, shop at the age of 21. And I'm thinking, this is it. But I always had this little feeling. I'm supposed to do something else. Yes. But I'm cool. But this is fun. You know, I'm doing well. I, I was balling as a barber. I ain't gonna lie. And you know, and, it's close enough to being art too. It is art. Oh, it really is. And and so I was I was learning all this stuff. I was working on urban pharmaceutical suppliers, if you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> a lot of them, women even who were harder than the men. But I kept feeling there's something else I'm supposed to do. When I turned 30, I started dating a man whose best friend was a heart builder in a little town called San Juan Batista, about an hour and a half from where I live. Hmm. My first heart at the age of 30. Wow. Yes, I've heard that before. My God. And so my journey with the heart is that it, it promised me. It said, you just really have to trust me. And so 
everything that I've learned about, about metaphysics and such, you figure like this, I'm 30 years old and everyone else am, in my age of 30 years old, they're either having children or they're trying to, they're, they're, you know, I told you the 401k plans and stuff. Yes. And I'm starting a whole new life yes. as a musician. Yes. And I tell you, and I had to trust God with all that, that I am even today. Yes. Even today. And, it, and I don't feel like it's, it's changed. If anything else, I, it's, I don't want to use the word elevated, but it's probably even more condensed than ever. Uh, it's like yesterday you was, I was sharing, sharing with you that there was a, a protest happening, right? Yes. I mean, literally on this same block. And we have my contemporaries that are younger than I am running out to go say enough. We don't want no more Breonna Taylors. We, we it's, it's enough. And no one has sent these children out without prayer. And I'm furious. Wow. I am furious. These are young people who are fueled by rage. Just quietly. Yes. But where were the elders to pray over them? Yes. Yes. You know, I've been actually thinking for the past few days about a story and, and that will sort of help get me around to, the, to my next question. Um, but um, I've been thinking about a story that happened to one of the, one of the caliphs of the Muslims at the time of the Prophet. There was a caliph, the second caliph, and he was known for being really just. Mm. And um, one time, a father came with his son. Now, disobedience to parents is considered one of the major sins in, in Islam, as it is in, in many of the world religions, in many of the faith traditions. So this father brings his son, and he says, you know, my son is disobeying. He's not listening to me. He's disrespectful to me. He's... Um, you know, he doesn't follow what I say. He, he, he's just giving me a hard time. And then, you know, the caliph starts reprimanding the son. And the son <laughs> stops him. He says, before you do any of that, let me ask you something. He says, what is the rights of the father? What is the rights of the son upon the father? Hmm. He says that he picks a good name for him. He picks a good mother for him. He picks a good place for him and he teaches him well. Yes. He says, as for my mother, she's a prostitute. Mm. As for my name, he called me a donkey. As for my education, he never taught me a single word. Mm. And then the caliph looks at the father and he tells him something so powerful. He says, you disobeyed your son before he disobeyed you. And I've been thinking, you know, about the young, your young com contemporaries. Yes. They're a children of the land. Gibran says that the, 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 the young men are a children of the nation. They're a children of the land. <clears throat> and our nation has disobeyed our children before they have disobeyed us. So, you know, everybody comes along and says, well, what they're doing is not right. But that's not the point, is it? 
The point is why and what is the root of that that has caused this to happen. So if you have metaphysics, you sort of know that the universe is sending you signs. God oh. is sending you signs. God is appearing to you as signs all the time to let you know that something is up. Yes. That if, you, if somebody has cancer and one of the symptoms is a headache, you don't give them an aspirin. That doesn't, that doesn't cure the cancer. That just, that just actually makes it worse because it might cure the headache, but the cancer is still there. So the symptoms that we're seeing right now it's painful. It's painful, but nobody is asking the question about the root. That, and how to remedy it. If you don't know the root, you can't remedy it. There has to be true and deep healing, um, which begins, as in all faith traditions, with righting the wrongs. And so... We'll, we'll get to that because I definitely want to ask you about your art form, your art craft and justice. I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge thing. But I wanted to go back now. I want to ask you about travel. Yes. What importance, do, so I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things in your life that are very similar to my life, even though I'm much younger than you. I am now at the stage, I'm only seven years old or six years older than when you started playing the harp. But early in my life, at six years old, I went through war. I experienced the, the first Gulf War in Iraq. Ooh. And immediately, this place, which I thought was going to be my home until I die, became sort of the beginning of the, the springboard for diaspora, right, and migration. And I like to think that I actually have to thank the war for my creativity. Because there is, there, you know, art is all about healing suffering into a type of redemption. Mm. Transforming suffering into a type of redemption. Mm. So what role do you think travel, that seems to be one of the first stages, one of the first phases in your life, right? Mm. You, you went through that to a place probably or maybe there is a lot of similarities, but it's, it's quite right at the end of the world, right? Um, what role do you think that had reflecting now on both your spirituality and your artistry? Oh, my. So much. We, I had literally almost started traveling out of the womb because my father was a military man. So we were backing forth from, from, the, from California to the East Coast. Mm. So when we made that jump over to to Okinawa when I was five years old, it was so mind expanded because here I am in an environment like now, I am forced to listen at such a deep level because I don't know the language. I'm forced. And Okinawa at that time was rural and i'm trying to think of if I, uh, I'm, now it's it's all posh with 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 uh paved roads and such but i remember we lived up on a hill and we didn't live on base housing 
we had to, I had to walk down the hill to the main road that was unpaved and dirty and just, just dirt. It was the land. It was dirt and walk through wild mongoose. Wow. And they had snakes that were called habu. I, I don't remember anything else. I remember habu and you needed to be happy. You were always happy to see the mongoose because the mongoose would handle the habu. And my people, which what I was introduced to at a young age for me, were altars. So here were the, the Ryukins who practiced a form of Shintoism and probably Buddhism. Yeah. They had altars and periodically after they had cremated their beloved ones who had ascended, the altars were representations or honoring of their people. So here I am at a young age being exposed to that, not wow. knowing. So, and and the beauty around that, the, the artistry of setting out a flower and the way that the flower is set, the water prepared for, for that. So I'm seeing that artistry. Periodically, my father would take us to go see a Shinto temple. Now my father was born Baptist, but he was a hardhead himself. But he wanted us to see the artistry of that yes. language itself is art. Yes. All languages is. So you're asking me the question about how does that have an influence? I am always listening to the cadence of someone's. Yes. I hear the music. I'm, I'm working on a project now that will come out. I want to say late October, perhaps. And uh, the person that we're, me and, and, a, and a woman I've been working off and on with, with years, she's a, a jazz violinist named Tarika Lewis. The other person sent us over something just to kind to, to kind of trigger our mind, if you will. Mm -hmm. And even though she had sent us some music, what caught me was the sound of the elder's voice when he spoke at the beginning and at the end. He's speaking in, I believe, traditional Nigerian. And mm. it's not to understand, but there was something about the cadence of his voice. Wow. That for me, that's where the music is. Yes. But most folks don't recognize that. I'm, I don't know if this was the same for you, but I remember when I was a kid, and in, and in particularly at Christmas time in, in our neighbor, in our household where my mom and dad were together, they would buy us all these presents. But why did we want to play with the box that the refrigerator came in? We didn't want to play with any of the toys. The box that the refrigerator came in had so much mystery force. There was artistry and opportunity hmm. to create. It offered us that. So, and, and then as, as we moved forward and, and we were stripped down to nil, we were forced to find the creativity and everything in our environment because there wasn't no money to buy nothing by this time. So the, the opportunity for me to see creativity or to hear the sounds, I'm listening to the sound of maybe the way a car starts or the, the, wow. the click of the turn signal. See, there's music there. Yes, it's rhythm of life. It's the rhythm of life. And yes. so- so uh, e even with, with Reverend Ike, he was this, he was this, what, what uh, a good friend of ours, I'm calling him a good friend, he was the Metacostal. 
he was the the predecessor of of a uh, Bishop Carlton. Oh, I remember Carlton's last name, but Carlton has since uh, he was excommunicated from the Church of God in Christ because he started to say, he said publicly after many years of sending folks to hell that all roads led to God. That's it. And so in, in that conversation is, is that he said, I call myself a metacostal because he started to delve deep in into metaphysics and the Pentecostal experience and, and found that they, for him, they were one and the same. And being Carlton Pierce, thank you now. Thank you now, Reese Baby. My folks is online. I love you. <laughs> and so the, the and, and even, and, and I know you've asked me one question, but I, I need to say this. One of the things about the Church of God in Christ that many people don't know is the founder of that movement, his name was Dag Nabbit. Come on, Destiny Muhammad. <laughs> The founder of the Church of God in Christ, I want to say back in the 20s, had come out of the Baptist church. There were pictures of him, Bishop Mason, Bishop Mason, that was his name. There were pictures of him sitting at a table, and on the table would be roots and candles and skulls. Mm -hmm. He used all of these as a way to teach what he understood as the teachings of the Christ. Wow. And so, and so as, uh, as people became more sophisticated and refined, they didn't want folks to know that, but those teaching tools also harken back to his African experience. And yes. so creativity came through that. He, he used that Bishop Charles Harris, come on, baby. That's Reese, baby. Hit me up. That's what, see, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, the, 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 the possibilities of metaphysics in, in everything, the physics of metaphysics, moving in through Christianity, moving in through Islam. That's why I don't have a problem saying, alhamdulillah, hallelujah. Come right. on. Right. Because I know that the presence of God, when you, the Sufi says that there, we, we think there are 3,000 names. Right. We think. And each name experiences and expresses the divine nature of this thing. Ooh, thank you. Of this thing that when we fall in love with, we become the Enoch. We become the, but we walk with it. We walk as it. There's no separation. The, when, when Jesus said, I and my father are one, there's some translations that will even go so far that I and my father are the same one. That is heresy. Yes. Say that. But there becomes that time when even in Islam where it says, and I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. Yes. I, I'm, I'm invisible because all there is Yes. It's the it's it's that's the that's the pinnacle of truth. Woo! Don't that's me like that uh, all the paths are leading to that realization, that one realization. That one realization. And so it's so there's a man by the name of ooh, he says religion is at its best when it's used. He said, but man has decided it is something they need to defend. 
Wow. And I, ooh, matter of fact, he was the teacher of the man I was talking to you about named Reverend Knight. His name, Neville. And I can't remember what his first name is, but his name is Neville. He's a high metaphysician. And he wow. was by an Ethiopian Jew during the 30s. Neville, he says, and that is the thing is, is that what I know for a fact that when I apply the teachings of the Christ, when I apply the teachings of Muhammad, peace be upon him, the teachings of the Buddha, when I apply them to my life, all you see is the teachings fully activated. Right. They're dormant. Neville it's got it's a, it's a it's a memory that just well and you know that's the amazing thing about remembrance is that remembrance is basically memory i mean the two words are are one and the same we do remembrance to remember or at a deeper level we do remembrance to be remembered um and then all of that stuff it's like yes this is this is who i am before we go on, before we go on to the question of metaphysics, <laughs> let's hear some harp metaphysics. Another couple of minutes. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Hmm. Hmm. My God, I mean, the harp more than probably any other instruments. I don't think there is any doubt why 
the ancient Egyptians put it in their in the pyramids because they knew that its sound is just like the celestial movements. It's just it's it's uh there is like a there is you know like like a little spice at the end of each note that's unlike any other instrument. And I say this as someone who plays the oud, like you know, like the ancestor of the lute, but yeah. there is there is there is there is like this you know ibn arabi the 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 andalusian sufi mystic he says that music even though it's played by the hand of the musician hmm. descends from the divine presence passing through as a meaning passing through each of the orbits of the heavens and it's actually the movements of the heavens that produces the music and then it it comes back so it's like it's ascending from the heart of the musician to the divine presence and then he stamps it with approval and then it comes and passes through the rotations of the planets and the stars and the galaxies and comes back to the hand and the the instrument and it gets produced and i feel like the harp harp has has i don't know a tsa a pre-TSA approval, it just goes quick and comes back. It's magnificent, but of course it's it's coming from your heart, which is why it's 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 got it's got that it's got that genuine, you know, just heart harp. Oh man. Um metaphysics. Yes. What is metaphysics to you? Now I studied metaphysics in the academy. Wow. And in the university, metaphysics is a very philosophical and abstract and rational. And I know that's not what it is for you. It was like that for me when I started saying, but I had to find a spiritual guide to let me know that metaphysics is all about taste. You know, my guide and the guide of, of my wife, Fatima, and the guide of Tazin and Ismail, and many of us, Sheikh Hisham Qabani of the Naqshabandi order, he, it's all about taste. So the Sufis say, you can study honey all you want. You can know the chemical features and the chemical makeup of honey more than a person who tastes honey. But it's the person who tastes honey who can tell you exactly what it's like. Actually, they can't tell you. That's the thing. They can't tell you. Another Sufi saint, actually one of my teachers, he said, if somebody asks you, if you ask a saint, he says, what is the difference between the sweetness of oranges, apples, dates, and honey? Mm. He says, I can't describe that to you. Taste and you'll know. Mm. And I think metaphysics for an artist has to be that. And some people like yourself they're embracing it, they're living it consciously. But I'm convinced that no artist, even an atheist, can survive and can thrive in that world of creativity without living a metaphysic, without at least acknowledging the fact that there is inspiration coming to them from, at the most basic level, an abyss within their own selves which is divinity. Yes. Right? It's, it's hood. <laughs> it's honoring our own divinity, right? Our own 
community. That's it. So what is metaphysics to you? And has the meaning of metaphysics to you changed throughout your journey? Or let me just ask, has it changed after you started hugging the heart? I think it amplified itself. That is so good. Mm. Metaphysics is, is applicable life skills. It is. Mm. I know for some people it is. Since I could and, and I think that my, it was on purpose that I got thrown into a situation where it's like take that shellac and make it into to, uh, something else. Take right. I think that was on purpose. That meant that I had to, I had to literally summon up all that I could and then surrender completely to this thing that we call God, Jehovah Allah. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had to summon up, it, I had to apply it in real time. I think it's different for folks who, who come on the planet and they get to be rich they they come and, and and it's and it's just there for them and they just they're just living like that. But for those of us who step into the terrestrial, after having been on the celestial for so long, and it's like, all right, you don't get nothing. You got to create it yourself. You got to remember on some level that everything that you desire is already here. That it's already yours. You have to step into your divinity unapologetic and flat. And, right. that's, and that's in front of folks whose amnesia is so intense that they might be willing to beat you up and possibly even kill you. Right. Metaphysics is how I live. It's not, it's not the separation of church and state for me. It is life. And so, right. it, and so metaphysics is my, my conversation, if you will, with this infinite, it is the the life, and there are big words about metaphysics. I, I sure. remember it's, it just it can get all out there, and and it's kind of like shut up, right? Know how to use it or not? Is it an applicable science? Is does it only work on Sunday, and then the rest of the way, the rest of the year, or the rest right. of asked out? No, right. It has to be applicable. Metaphysics is life for me. I hearken back to the continent during the, the movement of the Kemetans, also known as the Egyptians, where there was no separation. Everything. Oh. Everything was hood. Everything. Yes. And and the and the ability to to be able to learn from everything, not thinking that. The Sufi master is always going to show up as as some elevated individual. He could show up as a straight ahead drug addict, right? Uh, just effed up. There's this book. I used to love to read uh, Stephen King books, and there are three mm -hmm. that I really enjoy. But there was one called The Talisman, and The Talisman was a was literally the rite of passage for a young man. Uh, where he had to, in order to save the life of his mother, he had to walk from New York to California 
and he had to do it in a year. And his mother was 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 suffering with cancer. And he had to, not only did he have to walk, but when he got to New York, there was this talisman that was calling him. He could hear it, hear it, but it was very faint. And who was his guide? It was an old, old black elder. Old black elder. And periodic, and he would tell him, and I can't remember what the young man's name was in the story. He said, you're going to make it, son, but you better start walking now. Get right. going. It's evil out there, but start walking now. You're gonna be all right. And he handled him about a moon, a bottle of moonshine. <laughs> no, it's a crazy. And what 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 this young man had witnessed is that his father and a father's friend, who turned out to be an assassin, had this ability to flip between parallel realities. Wow. And that. They had who they were here and who they were there in this other reality. And the friend killed him. And the mother was, was, was ill in the other reality. That's why she was ill here. But this young man was only one. And so he didn't know how to do this, this flip. And so the old dude told him, here's this. Every time you need to flip in and out of realities, drink this. But he finally, <laughs> and he, he wound up running out of the bottle and he got in a situation where it was either he was going to die or he had to figure out how to flip into that other reality and the bottle was empty and he figured out he could do it. Wow. That was a turning point for him. And he hadn't seen this old man and here he's walking through a mile, a mall and he's been traveling through trying to get to California and he's walking through this parking lot and he sees the old man and he's playing an old guitar and he's blind as a bat and he's looking crazy and he knows that's him and he gives him a sign. Metaphysics for me is just like when you can see those signs and you don't you, right. you move out, you got your marching orders, you don't question nothing, you just get moving. That's it. That's it. You hear the call, and for me, my, my my God speaks to me in in such urban vernacular. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't get the the whole pretty stuff like oh, and thou shalt in no get up. That's it. Yeah. That's it because because. You know, I mean, the thing about history, as someone who has studied history myself, one thing I think about is that the distance of history is that we look at people like sages and prophets, and we think that they spoke like articulate billionaires or intellectuals today. They, they, they mingled with the, they mingled with the, the crazy people. They mingled with, and they, and and those are the people who followed them. Yeah. So that means they spoke in the most. There is something in Arabic called an angelic speech, which is the ability to say the simplest words, that really pack a punch of meaning. And that's the sage speech. That's the saint speech. You know, that's like. Like I'm thinking about Gibran Khalil Gibran, 
because I'm going to teach a retreat on Gibran, and I was looking at his book, The Prophet, oh. and he says, he writes about joy and sorrow. He says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. Look how simple that is. I mean, that's just, that's, that's just three words or four words. There is no, there is no terminology. There is no, it, there is just blunt reality. Right. Right. So there is this, there is this simplicity that just smacks you right in the face. I think for me personally, what I think the way my spiritual guide helped get me off the drug of rational metaphysics <laughs> because it's an Ivy league. Oh, I know this stuff better than anybody else. I can, I know all the meanings of these words and I can read all of these books. I've read 400 books, 500 books, but I haven't tasted any of it. It's all garbage. Um, actually poison. If you haven't, if you haven't practiced it, it becomes like poison because it's all up here. The way he, liberated me from that is creativity so for me and i think at a to a certain degree that's definitely the case for you as well metaphysics at its most practical um manifestation theophany is creativity oh man it's just getting dirty with color getting yeah. dirty with sound Right? It's like you're literally grabbing fruit from heaven and you're just playing with it. Right? Getting dirty with, with words. But speaking of the story you just mentioned about this young boy, I, I'm reminded now of a story my father-in-law actually just told me yesterday. And it has to do with ancestors. And I think you'd, you'd love this story. There was a man who was a grave robber. What he would do is he would, every time he hears of someone passing away, the next day, he would go and take their shroud and go sell it in the marketplace. <laughs> and he would, he, would, he would do this like in 10 different villages, so nobody would catch him. <laughs> and then he died. Mm. And son, he had one son who grew up, and the son would ask his mother, what did my father do? Mm. And she didn't want to tell him that he was a grave robber. So first you told him your father was a carpenter. <laughs> so he went to become a carpenter and he just put a nail in his finger and he hammered his hand. And then he went back to his mother. He said, you're lying to me. Mm. This is not what my father did because if it was my father's job, I would have done it well. Mm. You need to tell me what did my father do? Mm. He said he was a tailor. <laughs> Same thing. He cut the fabric wrong measure and then it just didn't work out. And she kept telling him different jobs until he got so angry that he actually was beating his mother because he was furious. He had this, and this is, goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning with the young generation. He was beating his mother. He was just so angry and he was going to kill her. Mm. And then she said to him, she said, okay, your father is a, was a grave robber. He used to go and steal shrouds and from, from the coffins of dead people, and then he would go and sell in the mar public marketplace. So he tried it. He went, and he's like, this is easy. I can do this like nothing. So he started stealing shrouds and going to sell in the marketplace until one day, this old lady came to him, 
and she was a saint. Mm. She said to him, she said, I want you to promise me something. When I die, do not open my grave and do not steal my shroud. She's like, how much money do you get for one shroud? He's like, about $5 or whatever. He's like, I'll give you 10. She was like, I'll give you 10. Just promise me not to open my grave. And then a month later, he heard that the lady died. Mm -hmm. So he went and he started thinking to himself, well, if this lady told me, if this lady paid me money not to open her shroud, she must be wearing gold. So I have to see what this lady has in her grave. Maybe it's worth a lot of money. Maybe that's why she didn't want me to open her grave. So he goes and he opens her grave and she wakes up and she stands up and she chokes him. She starts choking him and she tells him, I didn't I tell you not to open my grave. And then he faints. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to the ruler or to the judge or whoever. And he tells him the story. He says, I need to repent and I don't know what to do. I've made a mistake. This is a mistake. and I don't know how to forgive myself. So he tells, the judge tells the people of the city, he says, stone him out of the city. Stone him, let him leave the city. Don't kill him, just stone him out of the city. So he does, and then he finds his way on top of a mountain. And he goes on top of the mountain, and he starts speaking to God. He says, God... I have two doors, the door of the judge that I went to, who turned me away, and now you are my second door. If you turn me away, I don't know where to go. He says, if you accept my repentance for what I did, take my life. And he dies. And then the judge has a dream at night where God speaks to him and tells him, there is a saint on top of a mountain. I want you to go and bury him and lead the funeral prayer. And then the judge goes up the mountain and he's absolutely shocked to find out that it's the same man who had committed that crime that he had stoned and told to leave the, the, the city. And he had, had him stoned out of the city. So he spoke to God. He said, what is going on here? This man came to me telling me he was a grave robber. And now you're telling me he's a saint and he needs to be buried. And God spoke to him and he said, well, he told me he has two doors. You were his first one. He came to you and you turned him away. Now, if I do the same thing, where else is he going to go? I mean, that story is just, it's just everything. It's justice, it's metaphysics, it's mercy, it's, it's, it's everything all in a little bundle, right? And I think at the heart of religion and faith, that's what it is, right? It's, it's these stories that matter. Yes. Now, apply yes. the stories to your life. You apply the stories to your life. That I yes. the stories and, and the prayers are, are, are the prayers and the stories actually applied to your everyday living? Yes. Or are it's they like you... 
Are you just Charlie Brown's mother? Blah, 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 blah. Just shut up. It's like you have to live through the life of Adam, through the life of Idris, through the life of Jesus, through the life you have. And, and, and I think art, the artist, the creative person, is someone who is aware of those, of those uh, what is it, embodiments that they go through. Um, because a creative block is... Is it's like an encounter with the devil within, where you you know you just you just I mean there is a huge blessing in it of course there is but but it's like I'm reminded now of a famous saint who experienced constriction constriction in Sufism is like a creative block is where you is where your heart feels heavy as opposed to expansion. It's like the riptide, you know, where the, the, the water retreats and then comes. So the, this one of the major saints in Sufism, he just had a constriction that would not go away. It just kept going for months and months and months. And every time his soul told him, pray to God, he felt shy. You know, he didn't want to. Because, and then one day, a mere thought came to him. Why? Just, what am I doing that's wrong? And immediately he received the answer. God spoke to him and said, in the beginning, you made a contract with us that you are ours. And we will do with you as we please. If you wish to null this contract now, we are ready. But it's like all of these changes and the the mountain peaks and the valleys that artists go through, it's nothing but spirituality. It's nothing but metaphysics. Oh, man. It, it, it is all that. We surrender. We, we get the foundation of music. You know, we're giving all the, the theory and such like that. Yeah. But that opportunity, you know, where Charlie Parker even went so far as he said, you learn all that, you, you throw that away and just surrender. Yes. That's the point. I mean, the point of learning knowledge is that then you're faced with, the, with throwing yourself in the ocean. Are you willing to get rid of that and become music? And, that may, and, and when you do that, you move beyond, I know for myself when I do that, I move beyond caring what someone else is going to think because I surrendered completely to the music, whatever that tone was, whatever that and, was. I don't, I don't question when I, when I get, when I get a song and I start to hum it, I, I record it in my phone and then I, I play exactly what I heard. I wow. Don't, I don't try to change the key. No, because it was good the way I got it. And then it's not you playing it. It's, it's playing itself through you, right? That's, that's, that's the divine musician playing, playing, right. Um, let's get, okay, so now we know metaphysics. Yes. It's this taste. It's this translation. I like to think of it as translation. Translation of heaven 
into earth in all its dirtiness and filthiness and complications and just from a cup of coffee to murder, really, right? That's, that's metaphysics. It has something to say about everything. Yeah. And it, it makes it sacred. I think that's the thing. It makes everything that we are going through sacred, in itself sacred. Because yes. at one level, it's like everything is a window to the sacred. And I feel that that's not it. There is, there is further you can go, which is everything is already the sacred. It's the like, it's, it's... Go, 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 go. Tell me. Tell me. I'm listening. Tell me. Right? It's, it's, it's the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get to something that is very relevant, mm. which I know that it's very close to home to you. Mm. And it's something because of where you live and who you are and your identity, justice. Mm. We have, and it's something that is, has been an open wound in our country for, since its inception. Um, and, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I am a complete believer that if there is any healing to the injustice, if there is any healing that's going to come, the initiative to even beginning the journey to this centuries-long, multi-generational, I don't even what's the word to call it, because any word that you pick is an understatement. Oppression, it's an understatement. Injustice, it's an understatement. Um, calamity, maybe, um, is with the artists. Because we skip through all the nonsense and we just go straight to the heart of the matter which is that and let's just use some blunt terminology racism is a spiritual sickness yes that needs a spiritual cure um and as a metaphysician, you know that the only way to cure the physical world is because everything is rooted in a spirit. If you begin the cure at the spirit, the body will follow. As our Sufi guides say, we are spirits dressed in bodies, not bodies dressed in spirits. Um, so I could ask you a lot of questions and many of them would be cheesy, you know, like what is, what, what, how justice is important to you as an artist? I think everybody, we, I mean, so many artists have been asked that question that it, it might, it must become, become tiresome. It's like, come on, just watch the news and hear my stuff and you'll know. But I like to ask these kind of unique questions. Mm. 
how do you think whatever justice means to you, whatever you feel you want to express about what's going on right now in your surroundings, in your community, on earth, having to do with justice? How do you think the harp is the best tongue for you to do that? Well, first, the artists have been identified as the vanguard. Yes. We are the vanguards. We document the times. This is my, as a jazz artist, jazz artists do their instruments as the axe. And our, wow. we are axe to chop away at everything that is not the music, that will not allow us to create this sonic sculpture. This wow. We use our acts, our paint of sound to document the experience that we call. We make sure, I'll even go back in time. When the heart made its way off of the continent known as Africa by way of the Mesopotamians and made its way into what's known as the British Isles. And the Irish at that time loved the instrument so much in that in its earliest form that they made it their instrument. And so their sacred people, their sheikhs, their holy men and women were known as the bards. They all had a harp yes. and they document the times. In the 1600s, the English came in with Catholicism. They sent the priest with the Catholicism and then right on the heels of the priest, they sent in the warriors. They lynched all of the harpers and they burned the harp. And those who could escape, escaped to what's known as Scotland. And so even the harp at, at that time, these people were using the instrument as a sacred instrument to invoke the ancestors, invoke the spirit of divinity. It became that instrument for them. It was snatched out from under them for almost 200 years. And, and, the, and the, the, all of the, the sound that was used to tell the lineage and the histories of their people was snatched away. They were documenting the time. So we move forward into this millennial. And I am the griot, the bard, that person. And my job is to document the tone of the times through my instrument. Sometimes the things that are happening are so horrific that I can't even speak. I have to let my heart speak. Yes. I let it speak. For justice, if it were left up to me, but it's not. What I know is that what goes around comes around. Yes. And um, it's not left up to me. My job is to hold the space of holiness and healthiness and to send out a sound through prayer, affirmation, song that will continue to raise the vibration and the heart that is stone will be softened. That right. is 
job, I have to be found living the truth that there is only one manifested as the many. And I cannot allow what I see on the, on the outside that's why you hear me call for prayer. I call, I say, I'm praying the prayers of my ancestors. You see me paint that so that I can continue to see even the presence of God in the craziness fully, yes. fully expressed. And so my job is to make sure that I am doing what I was assigned to do, what I signed up to do before I stepped into the body is to put out this sacred sound. Yeah, like a sonic blast. Hey, baby. That's it. I mean, it really is. And so, and so I invite other folks to do that as opposed to complaining about the problem because that lowers the vibration. For those of us who, who have who walked the path of Christianity, the master teacher Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me. But he said, but I got to be lifted up. I can't come down. I got to lift up. The vibration has to stay high. There's a movie called The Witches of Eastwick with the crazy Oh man. my God, I love that movie. Remember this scene. Susan Saradon, here, Michelle Pfeiffer, they're all in the mansion with the devil who was Jack Nicholson. Yes. And he, and he is in complete mastery of his power. Yes. To the point where he snatches them off the balcony in the house where they are and they are getting ready to hit that marble he says laugh what happens they start laughing and before impact they start to rise if you don't see the metaphysics in that you can't see shit what's wrong with you yeah that that sometimes the metaphysics from hollywood is shown in plain sight that's the point. Dude. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm talking about our people now, the Muslims, especially the immigrants. I'm like, you need, you're looking in the wrong places for spirituality in this land. Yes, yes. Look for it with the artists. It's not a coincidence that Elton John said, we're bigger than Jesus. <laughs> Because come on, I mean, you know, there is a church for John Coltrane. Hey, man. And, and, and it's not an exaggeration either. It's probably an understatement that he has a church. Um, because because the, the, the art in this land is born out of suffering, one. Two, it's... It's, it's a form of deep, deep expression. You know, it's, it's, it's an attempt to tap into, and it's actually an expression of dismay with, with religion. It's like, it's like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. This is what we want. Give us the reality. We wa so we're going to go straight to it, like a movie like Inception. Ooh. A dream within a dream within a dream. It's like, that's what we want. We want to tap into that. Give us that. And uh, my God, I mean, The Witches of Eastwick, I've, I've watched that movie so many times. Um, or, or City of Angels. Oh, my God.
Um, that's um, Nicholas Cage and um, not Drew Barrymore. Mm. Somebody else. But Nicholas Nicholas Cage plays an angel mm. who falls in love with a woman. Wow. So he actually commits suicide as an angel <laughs> in order to be reborn as a man. Wow. So he can fall in love with her. Mm. And then she dies. So it's just, and you know, the soundtrack, you know, I mean, you got, you got Iris Goo Goo Dolls, you got Sarah McLaughlin in the yeah. arms of an angel. I mean, you've got, you've got everything. You, that, that whole, that movie's got, you've got, uh, oh my God, Alanis Morissette's Uninvited, which is, Uninvited is like, when I heard that the first time, I was like, this is the divine feminine speaking. He says, uh, he, Meg Ryan, that's it. Nice. Reese Baby's on a roll today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Meg Ryan, yeah. So, you know, Alanis Morissette, she, she, she has this song called Uninvited. Hmm. Um, and I think the lyrics say something like, you speak of my love like you have loved before. Hmm. But this... This is not allowed. Mm. You're uninvited. And when I heard that, you know, there is a thing in metaphysics, at least in Sufi metaphysics, where the highest way of engaging with God is through the divine feminine. And the divine feminine is, is surrounded with ruse. Mm. That's actually where divine majesty comes from. Turning away the lover sort of like like romeo and juliet keep chasing one after the other and then juliet is slowly is always just just a little bit far away um so but but the point remains i think that that art and creativity is just in this land it's there is there is no there is not a single step that a people of faith and community can take in America without completely embracing art and creativity. Folks will do it, and they'll and they'll they try to separate the artists. They're, and they'll most time they'll tell us to get a real job, and not knowing most of that is someone. Excuse me, <clears throat> that's someone whose dream got squashed early on, and so they're just trying. They're trying to make it to the grave site. With, without too much insult or injury. Yes. And so, but for those of us who embrace the art and know that it is the very presence and power of this thing that we call God calling us. Yes. Fully expressed in this thing that we do, we surrender to it. And, so, and sometimes it's crazy the way folks say, you should have just got a real job. Well, I, those weren't the instructions I received. Allah, mashallah. That's beautiful. That's incredible. It's as simple as that, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Once you have that metaphysic, it's like the choice is not up to me. No. I know um, in our Sufi path, our teacher always, Sheikh Hisham always tells a story about his teacher's teacher, whom he also lived with, he also accompanied from Damascus, and his teacher told him, he said, look, if I tell you to go empty the ocean, mm. the bucket, 
you do it without asking why. Because the mind will say, you can't empty the ocean. And that's not the point. First of all, if God wants you to empty the ocean with a bucket, you'll empty the ocean with a bucket. Do it. You just do. It really is that simple. It's that simple. And, and, but I tell you, you know this path is, it's, it is not the most easy to be in surrender when you see so many other folks and, and you're amongst your biological family who doesn't get it. This is right. the family that you were born in, and, yes. and, but they don't get They say, you know, that's the crazy one right there. Yes. That's the thing they can walk on water. That's the one. That's the one, you know, not doing like the rest of us. That's the one that was always daydreaming. Dave Brubeck talked about the famous jazz pianist that his parents really wanted him to be a doctor. Said he'd be sitting in class and, and he was just daydreaming. All he could hear was melody, you know, just coming. He just he was just hearing it. But he but his parents wanted him to be a doctor. He said, when that hit him, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, this boy was struggling. Folks were so poor. His mother had lost the mind, and the father had moved them. I want to say from Chicago to Seattle, and and he he didn't even have a he didn't think he even had a musical bone. He was starving. He and some buddies of him rob was robbing a candy store. They were so hungry, and just so happened there was a piano in the candy store. He stopped stealing the candy to walk over to the piano and touch the keys. He said that was it. That was it. That was that was a meeting ma match made in heaven. It's and it's but I, I tell you, it's you we we get to drown out the voice and it's not for cowards. Many of us have just submitted to we've allowed ourselves to be browbeat by the world. That's it. Because I think that you know a musician that I know an old musician, he said in an interview, he said, if somebody has a talent inside of them, nobody will be able to get rid of it. Because it's imprinted. It, you know, it comes with the package. You can't, you can't just erase it. So sooner or later, and I think we spoke about that at Burning Man, sooner or later it will come out in mercy or in vengeance. Oh my God. If it lingers there and it's not, it doesn't come out in a brush or a pick or, or, or keys or, or harp or strings or, or word or pen, then it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rot and it's going to become poison. And you um, have a And it's going to hurt somebody. It's going to hurt you and the people around you. And you know, I'm, I just keep thinking about the fact that you mentioned that the harp was also oppressed mm -hmm. as an instrument. The, the English was setting this. It was a bonfire with harps in, 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 uh, in Ireland. They were setting them on fire and lynching the harp and lynching the harpist because they had to cut off the ability to document the, the Idris of that era, the wow. trans. They had to cut that off and come in and say, 
You never had a history until we got here. So the harp must have it must speak with 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 um extra sadness because 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 the oppression of black america is actually also the oppression of the harp yes look prior to as i was telling you prior to its movement off of the continent the harp's power was this. You had men and women harpists and you would see the eyes of the men. They would either be blindfolded or blind. The men would be blinded because they would not allow them to play and see the presence of God telling them what to play. But the women could. And the job of the harpist was to set this sonic vibration that allowed the earth to be rich and, and fertile and the people is white. Wow. That was the job. There was no separation. All of life was sacred. So it's like, it's like the harp is a reminder of the fact that music is basically code to activate the universe. That's right? It's, 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 it's a somber reminder of that. Man, why do you, th I, I can't speak so much for mosques. Most time when I go into mosques, there isn't a music. It's usually afterwards. But in churches, there is not a minister that will not have a solid praise and worship team to raise the vibration and open the hearts of the people. Yes. That is, it is imperative. And the objective, in my viewpoint, is to give them, to open the heart so that the presence and power of God that is already residing there can be awakened. So the music is to jumpstart that DNA of remembrance. We might even say, I think that, you know, it's like the harp for a while lived vicariously through gospel music okay right like like it's it's because nothing is oppressed and dies except it comes back in another form to haunt the living yeah. um i'm reminded now of um I think the novel Beloved, Woo! right? Is that, that's, that's the one. Morrison, ancestor Toni yeah. Morrison. Yes, Toni Morrison, exactly. Um, she's the one who said, I think in an interview, she said, you have to tell your stories. That's the one thing they cannot take away from you take is them. just, is, is, is take, is take away your stories. Um, so the harp is oppressed it's killed, it's massacred. Mm -hmm. It's a living being that also experiences a lynching. So just as black people are enslaved and oppressed and brought from Africa to the new world, um, just as Native Americans 
are massacred. It's like immediately at that moment, divine permission came. And this is, this is metaphysics to the core. Divine permission comes. It's like, okay, now you're going to run the show of creativity in this land. You're going to run the show. Hmm. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be the, the, the custodians of the music. You're going to be the custodians of the art. You're going to be the custodians of the, of the poetry. Hmm. And anybody who wants to get anywhere in this land, by my permission, mm. has to go through you. Mm. And I, you know, I've always, I've always felt that that was heavenly victory. Mm. That, was, that was sweet, divine, poetic justice. Mm. Mm. That... I mean that that the 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 oppressor mm-hmm. needs the blessing of the oppressed to even exist Say that. spiritually. Yes. Which is the true life. Yes. And I think it's important in in the context of everything we've talked about because the imprint of the oppressed people in America from art and creativity, it's just, it's them. It's their story. Gospel music and country music is really inseparable from gospel music. Um, blues, jazz, everything, all of it. And now especially the harp. I mean, the harp is like a living emblem. Well, for it's like- now look, I, I am, and it's, and it's starting not to be, but myself, and my, and my contemporaries that are American Africans that play harp, we're anomalies. I mean, for, it, folks see it, they, there, there is almost, you actually play the harp and you're black. All I'm doing, and, and I said this, there is a jumpstart of DNA. Right. We've always done this. Now and now there's a resurgence, there's a remembrance, there's a remembering of the ability to do this with within the context of the Eurocentric classical emblem, but then going back to the music that was born out of the enslavement known as field hollers and shouts, field calls that move into hymns. And gospel, but all of that gets generated into this. I don't leave none of that out. I don't abandon any of that because all of that is legacy that is rooted in who and what I am now and birthed into the next evolution of myself. Wow. Apologetic in that. All of the metaphysics, all of that is, is, is ancient spell creation and manifestation of things that happened on Kemet and all that we knew that even predated the evolution of Quint Kemet, all of that metaphysics, all of that are applicable. There's a woman, an American white woman who was playing harp and she, and she was following the path of, of uh, 
martial arts and she said that she would take the energy and she consciously put it in her fingers consciously yes because she wanted that level of mastery yes self. yes and 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 that takes i know for myself having come from so much craziness and you know you got that 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 mind that is an older version of yourself that may not even be me. Talking about, well, you know, you can't do that, you know, and rah, 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 because you're, you're old and you're black and you're this and that, blah, blah, and all of that, and having to grab that and reformat that inner craziness that would stop me from being fully exact and doing the thing that I said I was going to do before yes. I the station. But it takes a lot. I'll never forget this. This is what I want to share with you. I started out, for any of you who may have remembered me, playing at farmer's markets. And I think I told you this. Mm. I played at farmer's markets throughout the Bay Area when I met my husband. We played at farmer's markets in Los Angeles. He took me up to Seattle. We went to the East Coast when the weather is good. And I played at farmer's markets. The farmer's markets usually didn't have no money to pay you. You come out there and you play for tips. I played for tips. You hear me? So when so when Allah blessed me to move into to, to realms that where folks actually have money, they said, you just come. We want you. It's because I had done all of that work that I had, that God had asked me, do this, I promise you. I promise you. So I'm playing at a farmer's market in San Francisco. I'll never forget this. I'm playing at a farmer's market in San Francisco amongst the fruit and the flowers. And I'm four hours and I'm singing and playing everything that I know. All of the show tunes, all of the Celtic tunes. I was making up some stuff. And there's a woman who by all societal uh, constraints would be the epitome of what you would think is successful. Mm. She's tall and slender. She's got a beautiful haircut. She's tall, slender, white, blonde hair, cut clean. And, and she's her nails are manicured well. She's got on a beautiful dress and a handbag. And she stands out and she watches me the entire set. Now, like I said, I'm playing at the farmer's market. I got my little card table out there. I got a big old tip jar. There was a pickle jar that I cleaned out real good. And I got it sitting on the, t on the table. And one of the vendors was kind of one of the flower vendors gave me flowers. And I took the heads and I pu pulled them off and I put them around the jar to make it look nice. Oh, nice. So I'm there and I'm there. The farmers, let me tell you, I love the farmers. I love them. They supported me and they, they deserve every good blessing they can get and so i'm doing my thing and i treated that four hours like i was really playing at some big venue and when i finish the woman looks at me with tears in her eyes and she says i played hard wow. she said but i didn't think that i could make it. Wow. so i go to law school and become an attorney she said you got it guys. and she put a hundred dollar bill in my tip jar wow wow she aborted her assignment i couldn't yes yes because because if enough of us abort our assignment life dies 
You know, I mean, I mean, art, artists are like the, the consciousness. We are the consciousness. We're the consciousness of a society. And we can't afford, a society cannot afford to have 100% part-time artists. We really need to pay attention to this. Not every artist can be part-time artists. I, I understand and respect that not everybody with an artistic inclination has to be a full-time artist. But if all our artists, we expect them to be part-time artists, we are killing ourselves. Because that energy is descending and it's not being channeled anywhere. Nobody is taking it. Nobody's translating into color or word or sound. It's going to go somewhere. And, you know, we already see what's happening in our country because of the defunding of the art and the humanities in public schools, in colleges, in universities. We're already seeing what ha what's happening. Um, last question. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> That's what I say. Would you say that music is the metaphysics of language? Yes. In terms of meaning, yes. so language is like the body and music is the spirit. Mm. In terms of meaning, because this is something I think about a lot. In terms of meaning, what is it that music conveys? And I'm asking a paradoxical question because we're speaking in language. But what is it that music conveys that language cannot? I think, first of all, you want to recognize, for me, I recognize that music is a language. And it, okay. is, it, is the, it is the language of metaphysics. It is the language of spirit. And so when we, when we think, for me, I always think of music as a language. And when I look at the notes now, I recognize that the notes are, that, are the written version of yes. that. Yes, yes. But the first thing we do is we learn to experience the sound before we even look at trying to write a note or determine a 16th. Or we're engulfed in the sound. And that sound is a language. And it harkens back to the very first sound of ourselves when we kick in the womb. There's a saying that the Inuit, also known as Eskimos, that they sing as opposed to fight amongst themselves. There's, wow. I heard this years ago that, there, that there's this singing that is done amongst them to see who's going to sing the most beautiful for them. Many years ago, when, when I was trying to remember what it was I was supposed to be doing, I also fell in love with horses. And my favorite horses, even to this day, were the Arabian. Some of the most beautiful, exquisite. And when I was studying horses at that time, I was reading a book called The Black Stallion. It was a series of books about the Black mm -hmm. Stallion. It was an Arabian horse who wound up on a ship. And, and uh, him and a boy named Alex wound up, the ship capsized, they wound up on an on a, a island. 
But anyway, going forward, I was studying the Arabian horses because they're just so beautiful and just talking about the lineage of the mares and stuff. And it was said that the grooms were, these, these grooms were here in Arabia and various parts of, of, the, of that Bagnab, that area. And that they would speak to the unborn, hmm. the beautiful passages of the Quran. Wow. Every day during the, the foals just, they would read the most beautiful passage you just sing, just singing them to the foal. So when the foal comes out, it is the manifestation of all right. the Right. And you know that they're singing that those passages, not just reading them, they are singing them. Why? Because it is the sound. Right. And the foal comes out exquisite, beautiful, regal, to the point where folks, I, before she even gives birth, I, I'll, I'll take it. I already know it's beautiful. I already right. that. The songs, we come out singing. We think it's a cry. It's a sound of song. Yes. Announcing our arrival. I'm here. <laughs> right. These things of, about music, the, the sound of it, the, in, in the nation of Islam, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, regardless of what anyone else may say about that, one thing the Honorable Elijah Muhammad would say, he would admonish the believers to listen to music, but listen to instrumental music. And he was very adamant about listening to jazz and just listening. Don't listen to anything with any lyrics, but listen to the tonality. Yes. And the ebb and the flow of the yes. sound, able to identify the instruments. And if yes. you're a particular jazz artist, you could be able to say, that's John Coltrane right there. Because yes. that, that rift, that's Sonny. That's Sonny right there. Pianist. Oh, man, that's Oliver. That's this one. That's that one. And be able to know yeah. they're saying, listen, ad nauseum. One of the things that's, that's said to us, and particularly those of us who choose to study jazz and European classical music, is you can't listen enough where you can hear. You yes. Heaven of flow. I, I, I play with a beautiful orchestra of folks where the concert master is 90, getting ready to turn 94, and the youngest person is 12. And we are playing the piece called Scheherazade. Uh-huh. And you know, Shaharazad is based on a Muslim. Yes. You listen to that piece and you can hear the call to prayer. You can. Yes. All the music, no vocals, hear that ad nauseum. And everyone is interpreting it different depending on their relationship with the sound. It's like, it's literally like, I mean, it is the voice of God. Yes. I think that's when we say that music is metaphysics or music is metaphysical, what we're saying is that it is the voice of God. Voice of God. That, that the language 
that God speaks is music. And it's this pure, just tone, just a vibration, just the, you know, just the note, that perfect note. And it's like to each human being, he spoke one note. That's the most beautiful note that's meant for them. And it contains everything about that person. Just that one note. One note. And then we live our entire lives trying to capture that one note. And I think musicians, they're aware of that, right? We're aware of that. We're trying to... I actually wrote about that in one of my reflections. I said, a musician, they spend, we spend our entire lives playing all sorts of sounds, but we're actually trying to reach that one sound, which is when we heard God speak to us. And then once we find that, we're in, we're in our tranquil place. Because we know everything then. You know, every, you're, 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 you're in oneness, you're in union. The sound so you, left us, though, the opportunity for us, and I speak to me in particularly, is to listen. Hmm. And to listen even deeper than I think that I can. Yes. And, and I know many times we want to, we're going to blame social media and the this and the that. And I know all of us got responsibilities. Your bills got to be paid. If you got kids, you're trying to take care. You keep trying to feed. So, why, why, why? But what I know for myself is that when I listen, and I listen deeper than I can, I can actually hear that voice that is always talking. To it never leaves or forsakes me. It is always speaking to me and waiting on me. It's got eternity. That's it. And you you have to listen, not only hear. Yes, man. It's right? Listen. I hear you. No. No. Yeah, I mean, in the Quran, it's always mentioned this, this Arabic variation of, 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 it's only one letter difference between hearing and listening. And the Quran is very specific. Hmm to mention the word to listen. Mm. And it says, listen and be quiet. <laughs> there is, there's, yeah, there is a Sufi idea. There is a Sufi idea, Ibn Arabi, the one I mentioned earlier, he says that, says, if you want to talk to God, he will listen to you. Mm. You want him to speak to you, you have to listen. But both you and him speaking at the same time, that doesn't work. That's a pre that's a breach of that's a breach of etiquette. Either you listen and he talks, or he talks, or he listens and you talk. So when you're in the court of the king, you don't just hear, not looking at him. You you listen. You pay attention. Well, we're we're I I you know we're I don't think I've ever done a two hour conversation. But we did a two-hour conversation, and I can go for more. But my body is telling me, you need to sleep a little bit. No. And I know 
But I want, we need to end this with another harp prayer, harp, harp heart prayer. Ooh. I'm going to start with what I'm going to close up with what I, it's what I usually close out with and I started with it, but I'm going to close out with it tonight as well. What perfection, what a perfect way to conclude this. I mean, I am with the I am is like, this is exactly what we've been talking about this whole two hours. I am. And that's musicality right there. A two-hour conversation can just be summarized with... I am. You know, the, in Arabic, the, the closest... The highest name of God is who? H-U, who? Wow. 
which is actually the last syllable in the name Allah. It's Allahu. Allahu? Yeah. So they say if you remove the first letter of from Allah, you get Lilla. And this is actually true in the Arabic script. You get Lilla, which means for God. Wow. And if you remove the, the letter after that, the L, the first L, there's two L's. Then you get lahu, which means for him. Wow. And then if you remove the, the, the last L, you get who. <laughs> so it's like lifting the veils off of the name Allah until you reach the highest descriptor, who. So the running joke amongst the Sufis is that who is the answer to every who. <laughs> If you ask who, <laughs> yeah. W-H-O, the answer to every who is who. Mm. Um, and that's, that's very, that's like the light at the end of the tunnel. That who is the answer to every who. who you, just, you just gotta make sure you're on the right side of who, not on the, not on the, not on the bad side of who. Well, I can't thank you enough for this. This was absolutely amazing. And I think it went a hundred light years, a million light years better than I expected. We touched upon, we touched upon it all. We, we started from traveling to metaphysics, to the harp, to justice, and we could have gone for hours on each of these, which means that there's on one, which means that hopefully there's going to be a second interview and a third interview and a fourth interview and a fifth interview. Is already asking you save the interview. <laughs> I that's that's that, that's a given. That's a given. But uh, I want to thank you again so much. If you want to give one last word before we close. Hmm. That's it. Our own divinity. And I will, I will say this. You honor your own divinity by fully trusting and believing this thing that you say you call as God and by living it. Right. You know, I'll be nobody else. Be that light yourself. Yes. And I tell you, it ain't for cowards. Oh. No. But the rewards are so wonderful. Y'all go forth and be blessed. And I thank God for hedges of protection around you and all of your kith and kin. All around you, all of you. Just knowing that on the other side of whatever this thing is, all of us are going to experience great blessings and healing and love and joy for ourselves and those who are going to come after us. I'm Amen. In the name and in the nature of all that is whole and perfect and complete. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Art in Motion podcast, part of the Nostalgic Remembrance Initiative, exploring the sacred dimensions of the creative process to cultivate our inner artistry.